Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning and welcome to worship this morning. Please bow with me in prayer as we begin. Father, I ask your blessing upon us this morning as we study your Word. I ask that your Holy Spirit will lead us through uh, the text today that we might come to an understanding of your desire for us and our desire, Father, for your ministry. And bless those who hear with hearing ears and understanding hearts and help us, Lord, all to take uh, to heart uh, the lessons that we will be learning this morning. This I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. I believe this is true uh, even until today. And I believe that every word in the Bible is inspired for my benefit and for your benefit. I also believe that what the Apostle Paul told the Christians in Rome in Romans chapter 5, excuse me, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, I believe it is also true. He wrote, For whatever is written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I want to tell you a story of a young man who was diligent in reviving a nation by changing the character of his heritage. Diligent in reviving a nation because he was willing to make a change in his heritage. And I want to draw four lessons from the story that I pray will encourage you and encourage me to be all the more diligent in dealing with the uncertainty of the times that we're living in. Now before I tell you the story, it's necessary to define what I mean by diligence. Because that's the title of the sermon this morning, Be Diligent. What do I mean when I say be diligent? Diligence is the constant and earnest effort to accomplish what a person has committed himself or herself to do. It is the constant and earnest effort to accomplish what a person has committed himself or herself to do. To be diligent requires two activities. First of all, to do something thoroughly. And that simply means to be persistent. And the second action is to do something to its full completion. In other words, perseverance. To do something thoroughly, to be persistent, and to do something to its full completion. Persevere. 
A long time ago, there lived a young man who became a king. His father and grandfather had been kings, and he inherited the kingdom from them following their deaths. His father and his grandfather ruled over the people of God, but they did not honor God in their homes or in the palace. Instead, their attention was focused on the kingdom. They had been very political men, but their politics were godless and corrupt. They had been immoral men, letting their lust for power, wealth, and pleasure run and ruin their lives. God was displeased with these men and did not allow their reign as kings to last very long. But the new king chose to be different. He chose to be a good king and to not follow in the footsteps of his father or his grandfather. He realized that he couldn't survive their legacy without totally committing himself to reform the politic, to renew the culture, and to restore the Jewish religion of the people and the kingdom. And so, he wanted to ensure that the kingdom would become stable and strong, secure and safe. And he wanted his people to enjoy life, liberty, and prosperity. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, please, to Second Chronicles chapter 14. Second Chronicles chapter 14. And I want you to follow along as I read the first eight verses. Second Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament. Don't confuse that with Second Corinthians. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verses 1 through 8. Beginning in verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days, and Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, since the land was undisturbed, and there was no one at war with him during those years, because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built... And prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. 
King Asa put himself to the task of ridding the land of things that would jeopardize the moral, political, and spiritual health of his people and his kingdom. And as we read in the text, he took definite steps in order to achieve this. He fortified the cities along the borders. He enlarged and strengthened the military. He encouraged the people to worship God by dismantling the institutions of spiritual corruption, godlessness, and paganism, and by building institutions of spiritual worship, faith, and humility. King Asa was diligent in these enterprises. He persisted in doing what God wanted him to do for the kingdom. And as a result, the scripture says, for the first ten years of his reign as king, the kingdom enjoyed peace and prosperity and strength and unity, something that his father and grandfather never knew when they were kings. Everything in the kingdom was smooth sailing for the new king. Everything worked like a well-oiled machine. And that brings me to the first lesson that I want to emphasize to you this morning. And the first lesson is simply this. Good kings, like all good people, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life. That's God's desire and design for all mankind. Good kings, like all good people, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life. Listen, building a good and respectable life and family and business takes hard work. It takes a willful decision to be personally committed to be whom you must be, to do what you must do, in order to reach the goals that you must reach. It takes diligence. It takes persistence. It takes perseverance. Anything worthwhile in life is worth working for and sacrificing for. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. You see, I don't buy in to the belief that God wants his people to be passive, poor, and pitied in life. God made Job the greatest man in the East in his generation. He made Abraham a prosperous man and the father of nations. He made Joseph second in command of the greatest empire of his day. He made David the greatest king of the Old Testament and the standard by whom all future kings would be measured. And he made Solomon the wisest, wealthiest, and most winsome man in the whole of the Middle East. We do not know the God of the Bible if we believe his desire is for his people to be insignificant, irrelevant, and inconsequential to what's going on in their community, in their business, 
in their world. It's a good thing to take our talents and abilities and the opportunities that God gives us to advance his kingdom and to bless other people in the process. All that God blesses us with is not only given to us to bless us, but through us to bless other people. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when God called Abraham to be the father of his chosen people, he said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the call of God to Abraham in the Old Testament. And that's the call of God through Jesus Christ to you and to me today. So, good kings, like all good people, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life. But, don't be fooled into thinking that you are immune to the deceit and to the devices of those wanting to see you fail, wanting to shortcut their way to success by taking over your success, or simply destroying the good that you do just because they can. Open your eyes. Listen to the speaking of the Holy Spirit. And be aware of the second lesson I want to point out to you this morning, and that is good kings, like good people, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life. But there is always something or someone waiting in the wings to take you down. Look at verse 9 with me. Second Chronicles 14, verse 9. Now Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marishah. Everything in the kingdom of Judah was going according to Hoyle. Everything that Asa and the people of Judah had persisted in, built the kingdom up, gave them prosperity, gave them a good life, gave them safety and security and stability for ten years. But... King Zara from Ethiopia came knocking on King Asa's back door. Zara had heard of Asa, but he had no respect for him or for his God. He wanted what Asa had. So he rallied his army of a million soldiers and 300 chariots and marched north to Marishah. 
Amarishah was about 23 miles southwest of Asa's palace in Jerusalem. And if you're not uh, aware of, of that distance, it would be about the same distance from here in Winton to Chowchilla. So, King Asa is in his palace. And he realizes that 23 miles away, the king of Ethiopia has marched a million soldiers with 300 weapons of war, military machines, to destroy the kingdom and to take it over for himself. Do you think that this was something that Asa had prepared for? I believe yes. He had been diligent in fortifying the border cities and strengthening his army. Was this something that Asa expected? I believe yes. Sooner or later, he had been diligent in studying the reigns of his father and grandfather. <coughs> and he knew that there would be those who would mobilize their armies against the kingdom of Judah like they had always done before. Did Asa anticipate fighting against an army that would outmatch him? I believe so, yes. His father fought against an army that outnumbered the army of Judah two to one. Many of the battles in Israel's history were fought from a military disadvantage. And so I believe that King Asa was prepared to do what needed to be done because he relied upon God's wisdom and God's power to bring the kingdom to a point of success. And he didn't believe God was going to let him down in the face of a threat from a foreign enemy. Now let's understand that unexpected threats and disasters can hit us at a moment's notice and often without warning. It's our responsibility to be prepared for it. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I was not prepared to lead this church in dealing with the threat of COVID-19. That was my fault as the pastor of this church. I didn't expect that this viral infection would be as large as it has become. I did not expect it to linger as long as it has. And I was not diligent in preparing us for what was to come. And this became crystal clear to me one day not long ago as I drove uh, in my car out to uh, a town not a thousand miles away. Uh, and I took the back roads in uh, driving out because I just wanted to enjoy the countryside, get out of the house, uh, get away from uh, all of the things that... Um, 
I was having to deal with in my own life, in my family, and in the church. And I just wanted to enjoy going, uh, driving through the orchards and the fields and just enjoying uh, being outdoors for a while. As I was driving uh, through those back roads, I wasn't really paying attention to the road. And consequently, I hit a large piece of wood that was in the road. It knocked out the front end of the car and resulted in several hundreds of dollars worth of damage. I wasn't looking at the road ahead. I wasn't prepared to respond to the potential disruption that was in front of me and I paid the price for that. It was my mistake. I was not paying attention. Good people, like good kings, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life, but there's always something or someone waiting in the wings to mess all of that up, to take you down. I failed in lesson two, and our church is suffering because of it. But no one is immune from failure, not even pastors. And no one is a novice when it comes to failure. All of us have experienced failure in our personal lives, in our families, in our professions. Norbert Juma wrote... Quote, failure is, ne- is necessary, failure is necessary and an inevitable part of life. If we do not fail, we will never learn how to pick ourselves back up again and be stronger because of it. And that brings me to lesson three. Good kings like good people, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life. But there's always something or someone waiting in the wings to take you down. Therefore, call upon the Lord when the enemy shows himself. Call upon the Lord when the enemy shows himself. Look at verse 11 in Second Chronicles 14. In verse 10, so Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zarephath at Marishah. Verse 11, then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides thee to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in thee. And in thy name have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let no man prevail against thee. Often in a crisis, people, whether Christian or not, people will cry out to God for help. It wasn't too long ago Churches and people were praying during and after 9-11. 
It wasn't too long ago that churches and people prayed during and, af- during and after Hurricane Katrina. It wasn't that long ago churches and people prayed during and after the wildfires and the drought that hit California in the last several years. And I know that there are churches and people who are praying during this current epidemic. When life and livelihoods are threatened, people will often pray. Even if they don't believe in God, people will often pray. And if they're not particularly religious people, they will ask Christians to pray for them. Why is that? Why is that? Why do people pray in a time of crisis? Let me give you some quotes from some people who've been asked that question. Duke Tufte, he answered the question by saying, quote, people pray because it's the most effective way to express their care, their concern, and their hope. They pray because it's an effective way to express their love and a desired outcome for others. It is something a person can do when feeling helpless in every other way. Someone else said, quote, People pray to make themselves feel better. They can trick themselves into thinking they did something good so they can go on feeling okay with themselves. They want to help, so they pray instead. End quote. Harriet Sherwood, contributor to the Guardian newspaper, wrote, quote, Among the non-religious, personal crisis or tragedy is the most common reason for praying with one in four saying they pray to gain comfort or to feel less lonely. End quote. Justin Hoye wrote, quote, Prayers during natural disasters are, in many ways, a signal of hope that God's permissive will is not haphazard or unaware. Rather, Praying during a natural disaster recognizes that even when we don't understand why these events occur, we confidently trust that God can bring us through. End quote. Well, let me ask you, why do you pray? Why do you pray in a time of crisis? What are you praying for during this viral epidemic? Do you pray for an end to the crisis? Do you pray that no more people will be infected and or die as a result of the epidemic? Do you pray that God will keep you and your family safe? Well, there's nothing wrong with any of these motives in our praying. And there's nothing wrong with making such requests to God as we pray. But I want you to listen again to Asa's prayer. 
Listen to how Asa prayed as he faced an army that outnumbered his two to one. A million against 500,000 soldiers. He called to the Lord and he said, Lord, there is no one besides thee to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in thee, and in thy name have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art God. Let no man prevail against us? No. Against me as the king? No. Against the kingdom that you have entrusted to my leadership? No. Let no man prevail against you, O God. Let no one prevail against you. Now what is striking about this prayer, and something that I need to be reminded of, and maybe you need to be reminded of as well, that this prayer is simple, it is short, it is straightforward, it is succinct. There is no mention of the enemy by name. There's no mention of his country, his politic, or his intentions. There is no telling God how the people deserved to be delivered because of their reforms, because of their repentance, or because of their revitalization programs in the kingdom. There is in this prayer no bargaining with God. No demanding God's help. No promising God that they'll do better if he will keep them from being slaughtered. In other words, this is not a foxhole prayer of King Asa. His prayer is all about God. It's not about Asa. It's not about the enemy. It's not about the threat that the kingdom faced. It's about God receiving the glory and the honor and the praise that's rightfully his as the true and living God. It's like the model prayer that Jesus uh, spoke in Matthew 6 verses 9 through 12. It begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the traditional ending of that same model prayer is, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It begins with God. It ends with God. It's about God receiving honor and respect and praise and glory through our obedience to and our dependence upon Him. God hears prayers like that. God gets excited when his people pray like that. He answered King Asa's prayer, and it didn't take him a month to do it. In verse 12 
of 2 Chronicles 14. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And just a little bit further down, Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army, and they carried away very much plunder. God defeated the Ethiopians through Asa and the army of Judah. God defeated the Ethiopians through Asa and the army of Judah. It's very clearly stated in here. The Lord routed the Ethiopians and as the people who were with Asa pursued as far as Gerar, so many people fell that they could not recover for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army and they carried away much plunder. The victory was not really Asa's or the army of Judah. The victory was the Lord's victory. The enemy was soundly defeated and plundered by God's people, but it was God who gave his people the courage, the tenacity, the ability to stand up in front of the enemy and to press the battle to them rather than waiting behind and allowing the enemy to press the battle to Judah. The enemy was soundly defeated. The threat was passed. Everyone celebrated and breathed a sigh of relief. Good King Asa and his army returned victorious from the battlefield to their homes back in Judea. Will we be victorious over this crisis? Will I survive this crisis? Will you survive this crisis? I have no way of knowing. God has not revealed that to me, about myself, or about any one of us. We will have to wait and see God's good pleasure for each and every one of us. But the question is also asked, will California and the nation and the world survive the crisis? And I know what the answer is to that. Yes, California, the United States, and the world will survive the corona pandemic. Will this church survive the crisis? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ is the head of his church. This is his church. His desire at this church reach this community and this area with the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. We have in the past been persistent in that effort, but we have not persevered to the end that this entire community and area have come to an understanding of what that gospel of Jesus Christ 
really is. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's the Lord's desire that no one in this community and no one in this area should die in their sins. It is our desire, or it should be our desire, that no one in this community or in this area should die in their sins. And I believe this church will continue on because it is God's desire in us to complete the task that he has called us to do, and that is to tell every individual the good news of Jesus Christ. But this is not the end of the story. There's a fourth lesson to be learned from this passage of scripture and from the life of Asa. The lesson four is simply this. Good kings, like good people, can and should enjoy peace and prosperity in life. But there's always something or someone waiting in the wings to take you down. Therefore, we must call upon the Lord when the enemy shows himself. And we must be diligent to obey the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Keith Leroy Brooks said, quote, If we turn aside from God and his ordinances, he is not tied to us, but will certainly cease to act for us when we will discover that present triumphs are no security for us. If we keep praying, we will keep prevailing. End quote. As King Asa and the army approached Jerusalem, Azariah the preacher went out to meet the king. I don't know what may have gone through Asa's mind as he was riding his horse into town and saw the preacher coming out to meet him. Maybe, he thought, maybe a word of praise and congratulation for the sweeping victory over the Ethiopians would have been in order. Maybe a solid slap on the back, an attaboy, or a pat on the bottom for executing a well-thought-out plan of attack would have been appropriate. But I'm sure the words of the preacher must have hit him like a cold pitcher of water in the face. Turn to the 15th chapter of Second Chronicles, beginning in verse 2. Well, let's begin in verse 1. Chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. 
And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And for many days, Israel was without the true and without a teaching priest, without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. This is the sermon that Asa, that, uh, Asa is hearing from the preacher. And for many days, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. And in those times, there was no peace to him who went out or who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. And nation was crushed by nation, and city by city. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. But you, you be strong, and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. In other words, the preacher said to King Asa, listen up king, and tell all the people that the Lord is with you if you are with him, and if you continue to call on him. He will answer you, but if you turn your back on him, he'll not lift a finger to help you. There's been a spiritual drought in the land. God has been forsaken. Preachers have not been preaching the truth. People have been ignoring the word of God. And so from time to time, the people would cry out to God when they were in trouble, and he heard them. But it didn't last. The people became restless and anxious and fearful because of the violence that swept over the land. And God permitted people to rise up against people, both near and afar. But king, you be strong, and don't lose courage, for the reward is yours if you remain faithful. What did the preacher say to the king? Put it briefly, be diligent. Be diligent. Be vigilant, be courageous, but be diligent. Be persistent in doing what it is that you should be doing. And persevere until the task has been completed. Until the kingdom is completely reformed, completely renewed, and completely restored to the glory of God. Again, I don't know what would have been going through Asa's mind. But if it were like so many of us, we would go ahead and ride the horse on into town thinking, yeah, preacher, no problem. Got it well in hand. Know what I'm doing? Just whip the Ethiopians. Smooth sailing, riding the crest of the wave of success. But be careful. Be careful when you ride the crest of the wave that it doesn't slam you into the beach. 
Be careful. There's always something or someone waiting in the wings to take you down. No. Fast forward 25 years. All is well in the kingdom. King Asa is well and doing good. His plan for the kingdom is working out just like he thought it would. But another enemy raises its ugly head. This time the threat is from the north. This time the enemy is not an alien, but one of the brethren. Baasha, king of Israel. Baasha knew King Asa, but he had no respect for him. He was aware of how God had blessed Judah under the good king. But Baasha had no respect for God. He wanted God's blessings for himself. He wanted to conquer his brother. He wanted to destroy his fellow king of the south. Now Asa saw what was brewing in the north. He was aware of what was going on in the northern border. Did he remember the words of Azariah the preacher that the Lord is with you if you're with him? If you call on him, he will answer you, but if you turn your back on him, he will not lift a finger to help you. Did he remember those words after 25 years? No. Did he remember the oath that he and his people took 25 years earlier after defeating the Ethiopians when they said, we will never turn away from the Lord again? No. Did he remember the prayer that he prayed as he led the army of Judah against an overwhelming army from Ethiopia? Oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, oh Lord God, for we rely on you and in your name we have come against this multitude. Oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. No. We have short memories, don't we? A very popular saying, I believe, comes from George Santayana, who said, People who do not study the past are destined to repeat it. People who do not know history are destined to repeat it. I believe that's the words that he used. King Asa. How is he going to deal with his fellow king to the north, mobilizing his army? How is he going to address the threat that his brothers in Abraham were opposing against the kingdom? He didn't remember the words of the preacher. He didn't remember the promise that he made to God. He didn't remember the prayer that he prayed for deliverance. What did he do? 
he went to the temple and he stole the gold and the silver offerings that he had given to God 25 years earlier. And with that gold and silver, he made an alliance with the wicked King Bahad, Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he asked Ben-Hadad to break his alliance with the northern tribes of Israel and to stand with him against King Baasha. When King Baasha realized what had happened, he backed off from invading Judah. And once again, war was averted and Judah was safe. But there was a new preacher in town. His name was Kanani. And he made his way to the palace to confront King Asa. In effect, this preacher said to the king, because you put your trust in the king of Syria and did not trust in the Lord your God, both the army of Israel and the army of Syria have escaped you. Didn't you trust the Lord when the massive army of the Ethiopians and the Libyans mobilized against you? Didn't the Lord hear your prayer and give you an overwhelming victory over them? Have you forgotten the Lord knows those who honor and respect him and will give him full support if they fully trust in him? You have acted foolishly. So from now on, you will and your people will experience war for the rest of your reign as king. Whoa! The preacher comes calling. And the preacher opens the eyes of the king to his foolishness. Now, this happened quite a few years before King Asa with his great, great grandfather, King David. King David had done foolishly in the eyes of the Lord by relaxing his responsibilities as king. And rather than leading the army out to do battle against the enemies, he decided to stay home and take his leisure. After all, he was king. He deserved to have rest every now and again. And he's got his flunkies. He's got his generals and others to take care of all of those messy things of war. It's time for the king to enjoy being a king. And that's when David got into trouble. He got into trouble with Bathsheba. He got into trouble with Uriah. And when the preacher came knocking on David's door and opened David's eyes to the foolishness of how he had acted before God, David was cut to the heart. Immediately, he went to the house of God and fell on his face before God in repentance and in godly sorrow. Read Psalm 51. That's his prayer. 
But what about King David's great-great-grandson, Asa? What did he do when the preacher opened his eyes to his foolish actions? Well, rather than repent of his sin and seek God's forgiveness, Asa became angry. He arrested the preacher, threw him in prison, and began to take his anger out on the people by tormenting and harassing them. And this went on for three years until a serious disease hit him in his feet. That should have opened his eyes to his continued foolishness, but it didn't. Instead of falling on his face before the Lord in repentance and in faith and seeking God's forgiveness, he went and talked to his doctors about the situation. And they could not help him. And so, suffering for two years with disease of the feet, he later died from that disease. Like his great grandfather, King Solomon, David's son. Asa began his career as king of Judah doing what God wanted him to do. He was persistent in bringing the people back to God. He was persistent in shoring up the kingdom from all of its enemies. He was persistent in ridding the empire of the things that would trip them up in the future and cause them to fail. When Ethiopia threatened with war, Asa and the people put their faith in God and the threat ended. But like his great-grandfather, King Solomon, Asa did not persevere to the end. What did King Solomon write in the Proverbs? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will retain honor. These were the words of his great-grandfather Solomon. But you know what? Solomon didn't listen to his own words. And neither did his great-grandson Asa. What does that have to do with us? And what, is the, what are these lessons? What are we to glean from these lessons this morning? We're facing an enemy this morning. There is an enemy on the outside who is beating the door down to this kingdom. You may think it's Russia or China. You may believe it's the Republicans or the Democrats. You may say it's Big Pharma or Wall Street. You may even argue that the enemy is coronavirus. But it's not any of these things. 
What does the Apostle Paul say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our enemy is not all of the things that we see, touch, hear, taste, smell. Our enemy is greater than all of these things. Our enemy is Satan and those whom Satan uses to disrupt the people of God, to attack God's kingdom here on earth. And Satan has many methods with which to rock our boat, steal our joy, break our heart, mess up our lives. And he's good at it. He's been around a long time. And he has perfected his methods. But there is an enemy on the inside as well. And the enemy on the inside is our pride and our ego and our ability to take the kingdom of God out of God's hands and run it our own way. Satan uses his tools to create diversions that are intended to turn our mind and our heart and our spirit away from Jesus Christ. He uses politics. He uses the economy. He uses diseases and disasters to stir us up inside so that we will get angry, frustrated, discouraged, be suspicious of one another, doubt ourselves, doubt each other, and doubt God. He stirs up fear in us, impatience, and depression, just to name a few. But we have a choice, dear friends. We can be like King Asa at the beginning of his reign and be persistent and persevere with what God has called us to do in Jesus Christ in the face of all of the enemy's threats. Or we can be like King Asa at the end of his career as king of Judah and not listen to the Lord and run the kingdom as we see fit. But let me ask you, which way worked best for Asa? Which way worked best for his great-grandfather, King Solomon? So how do we persist? How do we stay diligent? How do we persevere until the job that the Lord Jesus Christ has entrusted us has reached its conclusion? What should we be doing today and every day until the Lord brings us through this crisis and beyond? Let me give you just a few and then I'll close. The first thing, and always the first thing, pray. Pray. We need to be a people who pray to the Lord our God. 
It doesn't matter what other churches are doing or not doing. It doesn't matter what other Christians are doing or not doing. We need to be in prayer for what God would have us to do. What God would have me to do. What God would have you to do. God has not called me to be like some other preacher. And he has not called this church to be like some other church. He has called us to be responsible and accountable to him as a church and as a people. And we need to pray until that becomes crystal clear. Not only in our minds, but also in our hearts. And so to that end, I want you to know that the church is going to be open to anyone who wants to come and pray. From 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the evening, if you have a desire, if you are moved by the Spirit of God to come into this sanctuary and to kneel before God and pray, then you do it. The church doors will be open to you. We need to get back to the business of praying. And we need, to back to, we need to get back to the idea that this house is to be a house of prayer. If you can't come here, or if you don't feel it's necessary that you come here, then I ask you to meet with someone in your home or in their home and pray. There's nothing illegal and there's nothing immoral with having a few people over for prayer. And if you're unable or unwilling to do that, then I will ask you to call upon a friend or a number of friends that you can pray with over the phone. And if you can't do that, at least lock yourself in your prayer closet and storm the gates of heaven. And lay your heart out before the Lord. Confess your sins. Seek the face of God. And he will answer you. That was his promise to Asa. That's his promise to all of his people. David wrote in Psalm 18, In my distress I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God for help. And he heard my voice out of the temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. When we get before the Lord God in an attitude of humility... And we cry out to the Lord God with regard to what is burdening our hearts. You can rest assured God will hear you. And when God hears, God answers. Second, get involved in Bible study. Too many of us are, are being lazy in the areas of Bible study. Too many of us are saying, I don't need that. Get involved in Bible study. Keep your mind and your heart focused on Jesus Christ through his word. We have Zoom Bible studies going on right now. Make the time to fellowship with the Lord and with others in the study of his word. Call the church office and we'll get you plugged in to one or more of the Bible studies that are currently being taught. Meet with one another. Meet with two or three friends, uh, again, in your home or in their home. To have Bible study and to pray together. And do it at least once a week. Do it at least once a week. Third, keep in touch. Keep in touch. A number of years ago, I asked the church leaders 
to adopt a ministry called Keeping in Touch. At that time, they felt it was not needed since we were already a fairly active church. But I think it's time to revisit that ministry. I'm going to send the outline to you. And you can decide if it's something that you want to get involved with. Stanley Jones has gotten word out to the deacons to call all of their families and to see how they're doing and if there are needs that we may be able to address. Thank you, Stanley, for doing that. Pastor Chris is maintaining contact with the youth to see how they're doing and if there are needs that he can address. Thank you, Chris, for remaining in contact with the youth department. But I want to extend, I want to extend the ministry of the, the deacons and of uh, Pastor Chris to all of our leaders. And I ask that all the Sunday school or all the Sunday Bible study teachers do the same thing with your class enrollments from preschool on up. You know who your children are. You know who the ones are that come to your preschool and who come to your uh, children's classes, get in touch with their families. Ask them how those kiddos are doing. Get in touch with those kiddos and talk to them personally and ask them how they're doing and listen to them as they speak to you. It'll burden your hearts because many of them are frustrated with what's going on. And they need somebody other than mom and dad to talk to. We'll mail to you the Bible study lessons if you want them. Those lessons that we normally have here uh, in uh, Sunday Bible study, we'll mail those to you so that you can have those in your own home and you can study with your family. Have a family altar. Have a family Bible study in your own home. Call people. Write a note of encouragement to someone that God has placed on your heart. Visit someone you think may be isolated and alone. Again, it's not illegal and it's not immoral to go up and to knock on someone's door. Nancy and I have started doing that again this past week. And there are some people who will not let us in and that's okay. We, we stand outside on, the, on their patio or on their porch and we talk to them and we ask them how they're doing. Sometimes they will come out of their home and meet us on the front lawn and talk to us about their concerns. We need to get back being the church of Jesus Christ, following the leadership of His Holy Spirit and becoming diligent once again in the ministry that God has blessed us with. And I pray, I pray that we will be a blessing to God in that diligence. Pray with me if you will. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, encourage us to cast off the coat of discouragement and fear and to put on the robe of confidence and courage and faith. Lift up our hands to continue the work that you have called and equipped us to do. Turn our criticisms and our complaints into words of comfort and cheer to those who really need to hear from us. 
And I ask, Lord God, that you will not allow us to waste time or to let this opportunity pass us by to stand up against the enemy and his efforts to ruin this church and its ministries. And I ask that for our sister churches as well. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts and our hands to care for those who need you and who need us to bring you to them. I ask these things in the name that is above every name. The name that is given among men whereby we must be saved. Even the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. God bless you today, throughout the remainder of the day, and throughout the remainder of this week. Let's get busy. God bless you. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.